Hey, you're on air with Ella, and today is a fun twist on Q&A. I've brought on a couple of experts to answer your questions, including is sunscreen more harmful than the sun, artificial sweetener alternatives, and what is flotation therapy? I know you're dying to know. Stick around. Welcome, you're on air with Ella, where we share simple strategies and truths from people who are doing something better than we are. Whether it's wellness or fitness and fat loss to just living better and with more energy or changing your mindset to accomplish more in your own life and succeeding however you define it. This is where we share the best of what we're learning from the experts and we're learning more every day. Live better, start now. Hey, welcome back. It's me, Ella. If this is your first show, we're doing something new today. I usually do Q&A with just me. Those are my solo shows. But this time, I brought back Dr. Wiggy Saunders, who you've heard before, and I've brought a new guest on, Kate Galliette with Fit for Real Life. And I asked them your questions because they were more qualified to answer these questions. And you know me, I'm not faking. I'm not pretending to be a practitioner or an expert. I'm just like you. I'm a woman who eats and moves and breathes and wants to feel amazing, you know, pretty much every day. And when you ask me questions that I'm not qualified to answer, I want to bring on the people who are. So that's exactly what we've done here. Right before we jump in, I just want to share some awesomeness with you guys. I want to share a little iTunes love because I so appreciate you, Char J from the USA. She says, I'm a health podcast junkie and I'm so thankful to have come across your podcast. Since joining about two weeks ago, I've listened to most of them. Every episode I've listened to has taught me something that I didn't know or reminded me of something I've shoved aside. I look forward to what the next one will bring. Thank you, Ella, for an amazing podcast. And Bobby says, my favorite podcast. Ella is funny down to earth, has great analogies, and is very motivating. Interesting guests and topics. I've listened to all of Ella's podcasts and love them all. Keep up the great work and thank you. I just wanted to give a little love to those two. When you guys share a review in iTunes, not only do I read it personally, obviously, but iTunes is paying attention and they help promote the show when you guys leave a review. So that's like a little tip in the tip jar. So thanks for that. In other news, I have some crazy good episodes coming up. Thank you so much for your patience when they don't show up like clockwork. I only want to turn out the very, very, very best content. And that usually involves research and then interviews and then post-production and editing and all kinds of goodness. So it's not turnkey. It's something that I deeply care about and I want to continue to bring you the best content. So thanks for your patience. All right. I love you guys. Here we go. All right, Dr. Wiggy, you know, I had to ask you a couple of questions because while I am trained on Google University and I feel like I have my MD, I kind of don't. It's about, yeah, it's about the same. Yeah, approximately. I mean, you put in a few years, right? How many years? Gosh, seven years of uh, schooling. Wait, no, never mind. That was eight years. They all, they, it seems like it was longer than that. Well, I've probably been reading blogs for like eight years. So I have my GD, my, my Google degree, and you have your MD. <laughs> so there are some questions I'm not qualified to answer, and I don't pretend to be an expert. I just, uh, you'd be surprised. I just call them. <laughs> a lot of people know a lot more than they give themselves credit for. Well, you know what? You know what I am? I'm the facilitator of information. My job is to bring people who know what they're talking about and have science to back it up on the air and answer some of these questions. So are you cool with that? Well, if you find somebody, let me know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm good. All right. Question number one. People ask a lot about artificial sweeteners because, you know, generally my guests and I tend to be pretty hard on a lot of different forms of sugar. Now, I'm not 
completely dogmatic about it. Like I, yeah. a lot of people won't touch honey or molasses or things mm. of that nature. And okay. I don't count myself amongst that camp, but when you can't do or don't do sugar, obviously it makes artificial sweeteners look all the more tempting. So you have sure. that, you have that group, right? Sure. And then you have the group who are like, no, I gave, I don't drink soda anymore. I drink diet soda. Right. <laughs> so that's gotta be good for me. And I'm, I'm <laughs> laughing, but the truth is, you know, I was there at one time. You probably oh, sure. never were. You probably never were. I was not. I was, no. I was in that camp and I was like, oh no, it's diet. It's fine. <laughs> um, so talk to us, like what's, what's, right about artificial sweeteners? What's wrong with artificial sweeteners? Generally, the question is, give me the good, the bad, and the ugly on artificial sure. sweeteners. Well, and I think that your, you know, your initial reaction was was a pretty common reaction because, you know, I ask a lot of my patients, you know, how is the, how's the diet? You know, what sort of changes have you made? And a lot of times that's where they lead off is they say, well, you know, I've switched from regular soda to diet soda and they consider that you know a really healthy change and it doesn't take me long to kind of correct them that really is not um, that's really not a very healthy change you know I've been really on the anti-artificial sweetener um, kind of track for a while now I'm actually very hard on artificial sweeteners I don't like them at all so if we're looking at the you know the goods and the bads there's really not much good you know I hate to break it to you but I really don't like artificial sweeteners. There's a couple main problems with them. One problem is that they I really consider them as toxins. I mean, that's really, if you break them down, that's really what they are. You know, one of the, the sweeteners, um, one of the main ones, <laughs> you probably won't guess how they actually found this, but they were actually trying to develop a pesticide, but it tasted sweet. Ugh. So then, then turn it into an artificial sweetener. Who's the guy that found out that the pesticide they were making tasted like anything? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what they were doing. I'm not sure how they figured that out. Um, but like I said, they really are. These are just chemicals that our body does not know what to do with them. So when we are ingesting, you know, the sucralose or the the acesulfame K or the, what are the other ones, the aspartame. What are their commercial names? Aspartame, so many people are familiar with. Some people know that sucralose is Splenda. Splenda, yeah, so there's Splenda. There's uh, sweet and low. Pink, blue, and yellow. Exactly. Pink, <laughs> yellow, blue packets. Those are the artificial sweeteners. They're equal. That's the other one. So, no, but again, what these are, these are chemicals that the body does not don't know what to do with them. So, basically, you ingest them. There's no caloric intake because, again, your body doesn't know how to process them as calories. And I do believe that they have some problems that, that happen when you, when you eat these on a consistent basis. Let's talk about what some of those problems are because I've heard everything from the fact that they are neurotoxins mm -hmm. or, and again, all internet wisdom, so your job is to correct me, but that they right. they affect your brain negatively all the way to the thing that honestly, I swear, gets people's attention more, which is that they do the opposite of what they're intended to do. They increase your cravings and mm -hmm. increase your appetite for sugar, which honestly, I think people gets people's attention more than telling them that it might be toxic sure. for their brain. Yeah. When you tell someone this is not going to help you lose weight then yeah then their ears perk up because yeah if you look and this is again this is well studied the artificial sweeteners for just going from like a regular soda to the artificial or to the diet soda that does not help you lose weight and that is that is well established and I do believe that actually it can cause increase in craving and increase in weight gain and the way this works is that your body or when you're when you're drinking something with an artificial sweetener in it you are getting that signal that something sweet you know, you're eating something sweet. So you're getting that signal to your brain to release the insulin, to get your body prepared to, to process that, that sweet thing. But the problem is you don't actually get that sugar or that starch that comes along with it. 
So you basically you're you're tricking your brain into thinking that something's coming, but you you don't get it. But then when you don't get it, your brain your brain is like, I never got that. You know that that sugar or that sweet thing. We need to get it. We need to get it sooner or later. So then you actually do increase cravings, and it actually does it has been shown that a lot of times when you eat these artificial sweeteners, you do tend to actually eat more sweet foods later on. Yeah, I've read several studies that say that, and also that in doing that, not only is it increasing your appetite, increasing your cravings, because it, it basically triggers something, mm -hmm. a need that you end up fulfilling later, but mm -hmm. also that artificial sweeteners affect your microbiome and they kill off good bacteria in your gut. Do you know any, is that true? Do you know anything about that? You know, I, I think that that's true. I haven't seen a lot of research on the actual microbiome, uh, except I do know that it's well established, that, again, that they, they don't help with weight loss and they can cause uh, weight gain, and I think part of that process could potentially be from the from the gut. Like I said, I do believe that these things they they really are. I, I consider them chemicals and I consider them toxic. So yes, if you are consuming these things, and it's very possible that these are affecting the microbiome, and that does increase the dysbiosis, where you lose the good bacteria and have an increase of the bad bacteria, increase of the yeast. Uh, but I haven't seen enough studies to say uh, definitively whether or not that happens. Okay, good. Well, we want to keep it real. I will link to an article that mentions that study. And at the end of the day, it just the thing that drives me crazy about this issue is that so many people are trying so hard to do the best that they can to get sure. healthy sure. and they say you know I'm cutting out the sugar I'm switching to artificial uh, sweeteners so that yeah. I'm not containing the sugar and they end up destroying their gut their appetite mm -hmm. their metabolism their you know their insulin resistance whatever you name sure. it and they're sure. they're digging they're, they're trying to bail water out of a boat that they're poking holes in at the same time right and then, again that's why I, I correct a lot of my patients when they tell me yeah this is this is the change that I've made I went from you know uh, regular Dr. Pepper to diet Dr. Pepper. And again, the 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 effort is there which I which I congratulate. You know, I say that's good that you know you are making that step to change your diet. You know, that's good. But we just have to change where your where your focus is because again, I don't think you're going to really get any sort of real benefits from these artificial sweeteners. Now, with that being said, I do believe that there's there's one and I don't really put this in the same category as artificial sweeteners, but I, I do tend to like stevia. It's a little bit of a different little bit of a different different chemical structure and I think the body does analyze it and it deals with it differently than it does with the with these regular artificial sweeteners. With stevia, you don't get a big uh, spike of insulin, so I don't think it increases the cravings afterwards. It actually has been shown to have some nice antibacterial properties to it as well, so I don't, I'm not sure if it really would mess up the, the gut as much or not, but we're actually using this when we're treating certain chronic uh, infections that stevia actually has been shown to help with that in certain circumstances. Tell me what you're using it to treat. You know, stevia is really surprising, but stevia actually has been shown to have nice activity against Lyme disease. Well, and let's point this out just for people who may not be aware. Stevia is derived from a plant, an herb called mm -hmm. stevia. <laughs> Um, and there's no sucralose plant. <laughs> right, there's not. Yeah, so th this is again as, as this gets as natural as it can. Again, it's it's still manufactured. So again, there there is some things that need to be done to the plant to in sure. order to extract this, uh, extract this out. So again, it doesn't come perfectly. But again, actually, the the studies that are on that are done on stevia, stevia, almost all of them have better results than the artificial sweetener. So I do recommend that. You know, and then if you're, you know, the question a lot of times comes down after that is saying, well, if I'm not going to do these artificial sweeteners and I hate stevia, then what about, you know, just regular sugar or or honey or something like that? And I think that's actually where, you know, I th I think there there may be a little bit of misconception out there because yes, 
integrative medicine alternative community we're always you know always very hard on refined sugars and and those simple starches and I, and I, I am also on those on those lines I really try to stay away from those as much as possible but I think I actually believe that a little bit of let's say some some raw cane sugar or a little bit of honey is better than an artificial sweetener because again your body knows what to do with it and if you're not using large amounts, it's not going to cause a huge spike in your blood sugar. So I actually think it's probably better for you in the long run to do things that are natural and to, to avoid the artificial sweeteners. Tell me if you've noticed this. Mm-hmm. When I made the switch to real food, my sources for sweet are things like maybe pure molasses, a mm-hmm. table, a tablespoon in the middle of something, you know, something I'm making. So it actually goes quite a long way or honey to sweeten something or sure. dates can be an amazing source to sweeten whole foods. Mm-hmm. Um, and these natural sources, like my body knows what to do with them. Your body knows what to do with it. And when we fill our body with chemicals, besides all the detrimental things that you've already shared with it, it's just, I just feel like it would, it's just straight up confusing. And and my yeah. body knows what to do with honey. It knows how to metabolize it. I actually switched to honey as an energy source if I'm doing a sure. triathlon or I'm on sure. a long bike ride or something. Yeah. Um, and, and that's kind of what I was saying is that, again, these artificial sweeteners, they're, they're, they're manufactured and there's, again, there's nothing out in nature that, that mimics what you're getting with these artificial sweeteners. Yeah. When you're using something like honey or molasses, or something along those lines. Yes, there are. Yes, it is a little bit of a of a simple sugar, but your body does know how to process it. Again, it takes it in. It most of the time, if you have a if you have a good metabolism, it turns it into into energy. So you are able to to exercise more or do whatever else that you that you need with it. And again, I think as long as you're not consuming it, you know, over abundance, then I think you're fine. Well, you mentioned stevia and. That is a mixed bag, as just about everything you can sure. buy is, because some companies really process the hell out of it, and right. then other companies, it's closer to the natural source. I'll put a link in the show notes for this episode yeah, that'd to, be good. Yeah, to some that we recommend so that um, people don't necessarily go buy the huge big box brands. Mm-hmm. Um, I know those tend to be more bleached and more processed sure. and that sort of thing. Sure. Okay, so right. we'll share that. What okay. about xylitol? Do you have an opinion about xylitol? And again, naturally derived from birch bark, but yep. processed. Yeah, well, again, nothing's nothing's perfect when it comes to these no-calorie sweeteners, more or less. And, and the xylitol and the other sugar alcohols are not necessarily no-calorie, no calories, but they're very, very low calories. You know, there's xylitol, there's uh, erythritol. I actually, I actually think these are also okay. Um, and if you're going to have to use something, I think, again, a mix of those with stevia is going is not a bad uh, combination. Your body doesn't necessarily know what to do with these. So, again, that, that's a little bit of a... Um, uh, going back on what I was saying with artificial sweeteners, but I do think that they don't seem to have the same consequences uh, as the as these artificial sweeteners they, they, you know, that are produced um, artificially. So I, I don't mind xylitol, and I think again there's actually some nice benefits to these to these sugar alcohols, you know, especially for like um, for gum gum health. Uh, so you can get it like uh, the uh, toothpaste that are sweetened with xylitol, or the gums that are sweetened with it. And I actually think those those are pretty good, and they have they have actually been shown to potentially decrease cavities. So I think there is some nice benefits to these sugar alcohols. You do have to be careful with with these, especially how much you get, because they really can cause some uh, GI distress, especially like gas and and diarrhea. So you have to be have to be careful with how much you do. But I think again, in in uh, in small quantities, these sugar alcohols are also okay. Okay, and I'm glad you mentioned that side effect because that proves true for a lot of people I know. 
if you are switching from sugars or artificial sweeteners to xylitol, you definitely want to pay attention to how it makes you feel. I know a mm -hmm. lot of people, their tummies cannot tolerate the sugar alcohols. And, and you'll find this stuff in a lot of protein bars. Mm -hmm. um, and also mm -hmm. you can just buy powdered xylitol and use it in like paleo baking and that type of thing. And I didn't realize it was, I was putting it in my fatty coffee for a while and huh. I did not realize that it was making me bloat up if we can just go there <laughs> definitely definitely can do that definitely so, can do that i'm off xylitol now but honestly you actually can really lose your taste for some of these things too the more you eat whole foods and the more you sort of clean up your diet if you will um you kind of lose your taste for some of this stuff yeah i think that's a good point because i think a lot of these these sweeteners they do have a bit of a you know a bit of a aftertaste to them and they have a bit of a uh, still a artificial taste to them so I think once you really get most to to natural sugars, you'll start to notice that more. So like I said, I, I really can tell like when something is sweetened with something besides, again, with something that with the, uh, something besides something natural, mm -hmm. I can pretty much tell right away. And so I think you do kind of lose that lose that preference. And I think you also get accustomed to not having the super sweet taste because a lot of times, again, these natural sweeteners are not as you know, strong of a, of a sweetness, but again, a lot of times you don't need that much. And when you cut back on it and you really pull back on the, on just the sugars, you won't need as much of the again sugar or honey or molasses. You won't need as much of that to get the same effect that you were getting with these really high powered artificial sweeteners. It's true. You guys, I can promise you that the less you put, the less processed food and less processed sugars that end up in your diet, the less you'll have a taste for them. I promise you mm -hmm. your taste buds change over time. Yeah. Another, another nice little, uh, tip if again if you wanted to try this like before bedtime actually glycine is is not a bad uh, not a bad sweetener again this is just a glycine one thing that's not many people know about uh, glycine is a amino acid but actually what it helps the pituitary do is helps pituitary produce more melatonin so if you're you know if you really kind of need something a little bit sweet before uh, before bed do maybe a, a, a hot tea with some with some glycine in it. Again, it's not super strong. It's just a little bit sweet to it, but it does kind of give you that little bit of again just sweetness in like a tea. But it also helps you with the added benefit of potentially helping you with sleep. Ooh, I'm learning something new. So, what form does that is that sold in? So, glycine is just a powder. Uh, it kind of looks like um, I mean, kind of looks like granular granulated sugar to some degree okay. it's really interesting though if you like scoop it out you'll see it like kind of jump all over the place basically because of the uh, electric charge but it actually works really well again for um, for sweet for just a, a slight sweetness but also for sleeping interesting okay so that's news to me i'm definitely putting a link into glycine we'll take yeah. care of that too yeah you can try it okay fantastic you know i don't want to leave this topic without mentioning one thing they're, the Quest protein bars are just enormously, enormously popular. And yeah, yeah, they th are. They've, I mean, their growth, they're like the second fastest growing company in the U.S., I think. Wow. They're, right. yeah, absolutely massive. And <laughs> the reason why is because they keep their products fairly simple and really, yeah. really tasty. But there's something that really irks me. So I, I'm kissing mm. my Quest sponsorship goodbye. Uh -oh. Um <laughs> Most of their flavors of bars I'm talking about are sweetened with sucralose and only a handful mm. are sweetened with stevia. And it is not obvious which is which. And again, sucralose, arguably a neurotoxin. Stevia, yeah. derived from a plant, an herb. So mm. I really just want to draw people's attention to the packaging because they say 
all natural, no artificial sweeteners. And oh, they really? say stevia when they are sweetened with stevia. And I think it's like five of the flavors and all hmm. the rest have sucralose in them. And not many people realize that. Well, that, that, that's a good point. And, and unfortunately, marketing will get around a lot of these, you know, they'll, they'll figure out ways to, to mask that there's actually these artificial sweeteners in there. So I, I, wasn't, I wasn't aware of that with Quest Bars. But yeah, sucralose, again, that's not the, that's not the sweetener you want to be putting into your body. You know, it is. It is not good for your brain, for your for your body, for your uh, for your fat, for your gut. You know, again, it's, it's something that that I really would would avoid. And like I said, unfortunately, almost all processed foods. If you look at those those that are lower carbs, just like these protein bars, uh, protein drinks, uh, they're almost always sweetened with sucralose because it is one of the cheapest options out there. It does tend to have a pretty palatable sweetness to it. So again, a lot of times it's used for that. But I think again that that is the that's probably one of the worst ones that you can you, that you can do. But I think what's going to change is that again the more research is coming out, we know that that those are the bad sweeteners, and we know that stevia probably is a better option. So I think there are going to be more and more companies switching over to that. And I think if there's an, enough of an outcry, maybe with Quest, maybe they'll really start to make a change. Who knows? Well, it's it just started. It starts here. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Doctor Wiggy. Hey, Dr. Wiggy, I got one more question for you. Okay, go ahead. Shoot. Okay. This is going to cause some controversy. I am a big fan of the sun and okay. uh -oh. I am a big fan of vitamin D and getting your vitamin D naturally, which requires sunlight. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I'm very, very aware that we are more prone to skin cancer, this generation, this, this time period right now, sure. more sure. so than any other point in history. And so I want to talk about the tension between those two things right. because there is one fact that is utterly startling to me and unknown to many. And that is that the sunscreen that is widely available by mm -hmm. many, many different brands on every shelf everywhere is toxic, unquestionably not arguable sure. toxic to the human sure. body and we are slathering it all over ourselves and all over our children and it makes me crazy <laughs> that's a good point is that a question or is that a <laughs> <laughs> so if skin cancer is a real risk and of course it absolutely definitely is and we are not minimizing that risk right. then what are our options Okay, well let's let's break this question down into a couple smaller questions because I kind of I think this one is is a little more complicated. You know, first thing first, you know, again, when you said that you're you're a fan of the sun and I said, "Uh-oh." You know, most doctors are going to chastise you for saying that you that you like the sun and that you're basically promoting cancer to your listeners mm -hmm. or whatever. But that's where the integrative side comes in because I'm actually on your side. I I too think that sun exposure is actually really good for you. I think that there, yes, there is, of course, the, the benefit of getting the, uh, the vitamin D, and of course, we can't convert that unless we're getting sun exposure. But there's also 10 plus other photochemicals that are also produced when we are exposed to sun. And they all have lots of good benefits. You know, again, vitamin D, the more research that comes out about that, that's basically going to just cure everything the more the more we study it um, but again so many nice benefits from getting some sun exposure it's been shown to help with um, with mood that's for sure it's been shown to help potentially with weight getting uh, some sun exposure so I don't think that it's as simple as saying don't get sun cover up with sunscreen you know make sure you never get tan look like a little mole running around that's completely white 
I don't think that's a, that's actually the most the healthiest approach to do. I I personally like to get some sun exposure, and you know, of course, we we're not talking about going out and laying in the sun for hours at a time, but we're talking about 20 minutes full exposure. You know, and like I said, that's typically enough. Sometimes a little more, sometimes a little bit less. But like I said, I'm also on that track where you should be getting some sun. The other thing I was going to talk about from from sun exposure, and this is one thing that you brought up uh, kind of in the intro to this question, about the risk of sun cancer. Because I think this also needs to be clarified because there's also a lot of misconception out there about sun exposure and and cancer risk. So yeah, ask anyone, does sun cause cancer? Yes, it does. And like I said, everyone's going to give you that same answer. There's also some evidence suggests that there, there could be actually the opposite effect when you get some sun. So what it looks like here, and this is again based on the most recent recent literature, is that we do know that sun exposure, the, the more sun that you get, the higher rates of your basal cell cancer and your squamous cell cancer. That's true. And again, and that's pretty well established. Now those cancers, yes, no one wants to cancer, and of course that's that's why you know there's a big push for to, to limit your sun exposure and to make sure that you're not getting excessive uh, damage anywhere on your body and not getting burnt mm -hmm. because that increases your risk for those squamous cells and the ba uh, the basal cells, but those cancers are relatively easy to treat. You know, you they can just they can just be excised. There's actually some topical therapies for a lot of those. And sometimes, you know, the, and that's all that you really need need to to do. So those cancers, yes, they are cancers. You don't want to get them, but they're relatively easy to treat and they're they're relatively low on the morbidity and the mortality scale. They usually don't kill people. They, just, you know, a lot of times they're just surgeries or, or those times. Now, the main cancer that really causes, you know, that scares people is the melanoma because melanoma this does get invasive it goes and it spreads and it and it goes to different organs and it does kill you melanoma is the one that you don't want to have that's why they do huge surgeries for melanomas and they do very very small excisions when you're doing like a basal cell or a squamous cell now what's interesting about melanomas is that it actually looks like those people that have the higher sun exposure have lower rates of melanoma. Whoa, say that again. Yeah, those people that have higher sun exposure actually have lower rates of melanoma, but those people that have lower sun exposure actually have higher rates of melanoma. So that's where things get a little bit murky because yes, you don't want to have any cancers, but I'd much rather have a squamous cell than a melanoma. How is this not widely known? That's huge news. I mean, at the risk of sounding foolish, why don't we understand that? You, you know, I, I'm not sure why that's not emphasized more, you know, in the media and in the in the medical community. Because again, that is a, that is the risk. That's the scary thing that you need to be aware of. And I think probably what it is is that there is a sort of uh, blanket, you know, mentality when it comes to medicine. You know, just like for, um, and I see this a lot because, again, in integrative medicine, we do things a little bit different than traditional medicine, but there's a lot of, again, blanket statements out there. Just like with uh, women and hormone replacement therapy, there's a blanket statement basically saying hormone replacement therapy is bad for women. You shouldn't take it, or if you do take it, take it for the shortest duration amount of time and for the lowest dose possible. But again, that's not, it's not as simple as that. There, there's a lot of evidence to say that there's actually a lot of benefit for that in certain women. So, you know, again, I think that the blanket statement here with sun exposure is that the blanket statement is 
that sun exposure increases cancer risk. And again, yes, and that's why I was saying that you could, if you break it down, it does increase your cancer risk. And mm -hmm. I said, and that is that is well well established. But unfortunately, what happens is everything gets lumped together, and you end up throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Okay, so getting sun not as detrimental necessarily as we've been led to believe, or or really very different than what we've been led to believe mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. said of course we don't want to burn you've already stated right. that and of yeah. course some protection is obviously a good idea especially if you're spending hours out in the sun and right. nobody i know you're not suggesting that we send our kids out to just fry all day sure. long that's it not. period full stop so <laughs> what's wrong with buying sunscreen from off the shelf sure, sure. and slathering all over ourselves yeah so so this is again this is a this is a huge problem that I, unfortunately is just being completely overlooked by so many people because again yes with everything you're trying to find the risk benefit ratio for anything that you do and so yeah you want to try and reduce your risk of getting burnt because you want to try and reduce your risk for these for these uh for these skin cancers but the problem is what most of these commercial products that are available they are full of cancer causing toxins so you're basically i'm trying to figure out a good analogy here you're kind of putting out a fire and then you're just starting another one at the same time so you're not really getting any sort of net improvement. You're just kind of bouncing out the scales to some degree. So I said it's kind of baffling, again, that this it's so emphasized that you need to not get sun and you have to put on so much sunscreen so that, again, you're all lathered up head to toe. But, again, when you look at the actual ingredients for these things, these things are toxic. I mean – they're full of toxins. Just look at the label and you'll see that there's so many different things on there. But a lot of times there's parabens in there. Uh, there can be phthalates in there. Uh, actually, what would probably be good for you is just to, just to kind of put together a list or a link with all the different ones to, to look for uh, for your listeners because there's a, there's a ton of them um, that are out there. But there are some specific ones that you really need to avoid. But it would probably be better if you kind of just um, list them out there because there's two main classes of sunscreens. One class is basically this toxin-laden sunscreen. By, I mean, how it works, it basically penetrates the skin and it this chemical stays in your skin. And it blocks the rays from getting down deep. I mean, that's basically one class of, of sunscreens. The other class is more of a barrier-based cream. Okay. And those are like the mineral-based sunscreens. And those are like the zinc oxide or the titanium dioxide. But what they do, and especially, well, again, this is a little more complicated. But for the most part, what they do, they stay on top of the skin. And they don't allow the sun to penetrate the skin layers at all but they don't get absorbed into the skin and they don't get absorbed into, into the uh, bloodstream. The problem with the, again, the toxin uh, sunscreens is that, again, that's how they work. They, go, they get into your skin and they block the, the sun's rays. But the problem is if they're getting absorbed into the skin, they're going to be absorbed into your blood. And again, and that's also been been studied. If you put enough sunscreen on, you're going to be able to test that in the blood. And so you you don't want to be using the sunscreens that have those toxins that are going to be getting into your skin and getting into your blood. Because again, we we were, the more research is coming out about those, those potentially can have uh, cancer uh, producing properties, also have hormone dis disrupting properties, and again, and all the other sequelae of bad things that happen when you have these toxins floating around in your blood. Yeah, I mean, everything I'm reading is saying that from allergic reactions to hormonal disruption yep. to skin tumors and lesions and increasing different types of cancer. Mm -hmm. So you're trading right. cancers. 
That's right. So again, I was trying to think of a good analogy. If you think of a good one, you <laughs> you let me know. But yeah, again, just there's, there's not a, it's not a good solution. So yeah, so if you want, if you need to to do something again, and if you're going to be on the sun for a long period of time, you should be doing some type of some type of protection. So I would recommend using a again a, a barrier based mineral based sun protectant. And actually, one of the best ways to do that is to just buy some zinc oxide, zinc oxide powder, and then mix it with some coconut oil. Bam! There you go. Sunscreen. Zinc oxide powder. Yeah. I didn't even know you could get that in powder form. Yeah, zinc oxide powder. Now with zinc oxide, and again, this is actually something that I've done a lot of research on because my wife and I actually developed a uh, zinc oxide powder because we couldn't find a great one. Um, but we also did it because again, we we didn't want to be putting these uh, these sunscreens on our boys. You know, again, especially little babies. You know, we don't want to be putting on toxins on on kids because their increased surface area and their increased absorption. So we wanted to make sure we were doing a good, just barrier-based uh, cream. So what we actually did though was we found a high-quality source of zinc oxide, and we actually uh, we sell that because again, we we felt like there was a uh, a demand and a need for something that that was uh, non-toxic, that worked well, and was uh, easy to mix. Um, we actually include a recipe book. Uh, with this. So yeah, you can make sunscreen with it. We have a whipped sunscreen uh, recipe. You can make uh, acne cream. You can make diaper cream. There's so many different uses for zinc oxide because again, it's just a mineral. Now, one of the things to look out for when you're when you're choosing a, uh, a zinc oxide for a sunscreen, you have to make sure that it's the non-nano zinc oxide. Non-nano. Yeah, non-micronized, non-nano. Because you want actually larger particle size because you don't want it to be absorbed into the skin and absorbed into the blood. So you actually want larger particles for the uh, for the zinc oxide. So okay. that's, that's the main thing to look out for. Is zinc oxide the stuff that in the 80s the lifeguards put on their nose? Yes, that's probably the best uh, visualization of it. It is a white powder, so you will have a bit of a white covering when you're, when you're um, using this sunscreen. But it works. But it works. It's non-toxic. It's easy to make. It's cheap. You know, when you make it yourself, you can make a ton of this for, for basically pennies on the dollar. And like I said, it works really well. I'll make sure that we post that. So again, guys, whenever you hear an episode and you want to connect with the resources, all you have to do is go to the website onairwithella.com and type in the three-digit code for this episode. The three, the episode number is all I mean. And these resources and links will come up. Thanks, Dr. Wiggy. You're welcome. Okay, I have one completely random question. A reader asked it recently, and I want to throw it at you because I know you have experience with this. Are you ready? Oh, boy. Okay. Okay. Flotation tanks and flotation therapy. Please explain what it is to the folks who don't know and then why the heck anyone would ever do it. And I've never done it, and I'm going to look it up and see if there's one within a 100-mile radius of me because, honestly, it sounds amazing. Tell us what it is. Oh my gosh. Okay. So it's, it's hilarious that you're asking about this. I love it. It's so great. I'm a giant fan of flotation tanks. So the misconception that folks might still hear when they hear people talk about flotation tanks is sensory deprivation tank. It is not that. What is a flotation tank at all? So a flotation tank is a um, tub. It's a large tub. Most of them are like jacuzzi sized or larger. Okay. So it's not like a skinny little tube you have to get into. It's a big, large jacuzzi and they have a lid that comes down over them, kind of like a clamshell. And inside is about eight to 12 inches of water, uh, maybe just a little more than 12 inches. And then 800 pounds of Epsom salts. And what that does is make 800 you 800 pounds of Epsom yeah. salts. 800 pounds. So it makes you buoyant in the water. 
And so as since you're buoyant in the water, even though there's only a tiny amount of water and not enough that you could even submerge yourself, it's literally impossible to submerge yourself. You float. And so what happens is when you get in, you are floating in this water. It's the same temperature as your skin, so it's nice and warm. And then the air is also same temperature, so it's very climate controlled and very warm and nice. Um, and then you close the lid on top of yourself. And some of them have lights that you can leave on, but the ideal scenario is it's a dark enclosed area and then it's completely dark once you shut the tank and you then uh, remove your ability to see you aren't hearing anything you aren't noticing anything other than yourself kate i have to interrupt you to tell you that i would have the total heebie-jeebies like okay so i actually did the first time i ever did one a few years ago i freaked out because i was a control freak hardcore and had no way to like trust things but what the point of it is is to allow you to have one hour in your day you could do these frequently or not frequently. It doesn't matter. But the result is the same. You get time while you're in there where you're not seeing, you're not hearing, you're not feeling, you're not doing anything. And your brain actually gets a chance to do something other than deal with gravity and the world around you. And it is incredible, the neurological things that happen in your brain. Some people just fall asleep, but many others use it, myself included, as a meditation time. Um, I've even had like some dream visiony kind of things in there that have been really interesting and insightful. Um, and also they are incredible for relaxing your nervous system. So as many of us are well aware, we're quite living in a world these days where it's very fight or flight. It's very like, oh my gosh, all the time. This does a really great job of calming you down, chilling you out. And also because it's so full of Epsom salts, it is really nourishing for your skin and your body. Um, Epsom salts are very good for you, and taking an Epsom salt soak is great for you. So it also serves that purpose, too, to relax your body and help your body uh, unwind, so to speak. And so uh, most flotation centers will have a very professional spa-like environment, and you have your own room, so this whole thing is done on your own, and they're very encouraging and helpful. I would encourage everybody to not just try it once, but try it three times over the course of one to two months and see how you do. Because I was like you, Ella. I was like, I'm sorry, what? I'm going to do what in a dark room and not see anything? This is insane. And then I tried it and, and did have the freak out the first time. But the second time I was like, oh, oh, this is really nice. And so I aim to try to do them once a month. I haven't done them down here in Columbia, but I try to do them once a month. Uh, and I have friends who go much more frequently and it is their time to relax and downshift for an hour. It's wonderful. Okay, I have a link to where to find flotation therapy and it's global. So I'll put a link in so people can look them up, but I'm just Perfect. seeing that there are a bunch near me and uh, near Miami where I where I work a lot. So I might have to be working that in. But what do you do the first time you freak out? You just ride it out? So the, I was in one of the really old school ones the first time. And so it's got this really heavy door you have to push open. So that made it even worse. Almost all of the new ones now are some form of clamshell where you can just, it's a lightweight roof kind of thing. And you just push it up and you go, okay, okay, I'm okay. See, I can sit up. I'm in control here because that's all it is. It's your brain being like, give us some, your nose itches. It's your nose. Your nose actually doesn't itch. Your brain is just trying to give you something to do because it's not used to having time to just get into alpha relaxation states and theta meditation states and all these other things. It's never done that before for most of us. So if you do freak out the first time you try it, sit up. Don't rub your eyes because you've just been laying in salt water. Just sit up and go, see, I'm okay. 
And then when you feel ready, you can lay back down. And some do have lights, like really pretty purple lights that you can put on. So if you're not ready to go all the way in, you can put those on. And it's like, it's a nice, like I always say, it's like a nice little like cocoon of water that just holds you. And it's so wonderful and relaxing. I want to go do one right now. I should go, I should go do one right now. (laughs) Do you feel when you get out, do you feel like a boneless chicken? Like how do you do anything? (laughs) um, So when you do get out, gravity will feel a little weird at first coming back to you because you've been floating the entire time. So gravity has not been on you. And in fact, that's one of the benefits, like muscularly, you, sometimes this can happen. It's happened to me before. You actually can feel your body unwinding the tension that it had been holding and relaxing out of it. And so when you stand back up, it can feel a little like, like if you just got off a boat where you're like, whoa, the world feels a little different. It's not rocking anymore. But that is very uh, quick to adjust. And the, uh, after you've done it once or twice, you don't have that anymore. But I will say you come out of these flotation tanks and you need a minute to just just relax. Because going back out into the world is very like, holy cow, this world is moving quick and it is loud and it is bright. Because your brain has gone Oh, right. Yes, we know how to downshift to the rest and digest mode and to chill out and meditate for a little bit. Uh, it's one of my favorite tools to use. I can't recommend it enough, but I really encourage everyone to commit to going three times over the first month or two, not just once. Cause the first time is very like what's happening. I don't understand this. I don't think I did it right. What's supposed to happen here. And you want to get past that so that you get a chance to really experience what's happening. So I'm going to look it up. That is interesting. I'm going to check it out. I can, I really want you guys listening. If you have done this, please write to me and tell me about it. Okay. Kate, Thank you so much. Tell us where to find you. Ella, it has been my pleasure to hang out with you and your audience. Uh, Everybody can find me at fitforreallife.com. So fitforreallife.com, you can find me there. Happy to connect. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, just go to onairwithella.com, where I put up links to all of the good stuff that we talked about today and more information about our guests and all the good stuff that you did not need to write down today because I got you covered. Don't forget to join our Facebook page and thanks for those phenomenal reviews in iTunes. Every great review helps and we read every one. Thanks for listening and thanks for inspiring me. You are quite simply awesome.